This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. To open the voice gate for April 26th, 2022. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network feed on our or on our own dedicated Open the Voice Gate feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red rectangle that says sponsor this podcast, and you can set up a one-time a reoccurring donation, no obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears. Join alongside my co-host, friend Case Lowe. In Case, we just have an insane period ahead of us. We are almost a week, almost exactly a week from Dead or Alive. Dead or Alive, of course, on May 5th. We had huge cork in this week. We've had a Kobe Sambo Hall show with notable stuff here, but most importantly, Case, how are the hell are you today? I was hoping you were going to ask me my thoughts on Barry season three to start because I'm going to give them to you anyways, Mike. I'm doing I'm doing very well. Uh, I, I have per- I, I have not seen it yet. Oh but my god! I, I I I'm doing four shows in three days, buddy. Yeah, I'm you're busy. you're a busy man. I, Mike Spears is a very busy man. I get it. That's okay. We could. Th- this is a loaded week of Dragon Age stuff. We'll try to keep it mainly centered around dragon gate topics this week but the berry is good oh my god it's look it's the best show on tv and you know i was euphoria pilled to the max i but there there the tone of barry the humor of barry the mix of bill Hader and henry winkler and sarah goldberg it's just it's so good and it was gone for three years and i think it really lost like i don't feel like season three has a lot of buzz which is a bummer case if you did not bring this up last week i would not know that it was that debuted this last sunday that's that's so crazy because i I love barry it's one of my favorite shows yeah i sat on my hands for three years going all right season three here we go season three here we go when's it coming when's it coming when's it coming because i thought season two was one of the best seasons of television that I've ever seen. And over this past weekend, I rewatched season two and boy, let me tell you, does that hold up And season three, not to give anything away because I, I will certainly want your thoughts off the air once you watch it. But it, it, this felt darker. I think the humor in this season is going to be really, really messed up. I think it's going to take a bit of a cynic to find any sort of laughter in this new season, but the story for the most part, 
I am very into from episode one, and I can't wait to see where it goes. So Barry is back. Dragon Gate is the best wrestling company in the world. Personally, I'm doing quite well. Things are going very well for me right now. I'm happy to be here. How are you? Buddy, I'm thriving right yeah. now. The Voice Skate Boys, oh, I, uh, we're claiming some wins on uh, <laughs> on the schedule for, for the first time in a while. So, yeah, no, I'm doing great. If uh, you go back and listen to shows from, like, I don't know, August, September, October, November, December, it's like, ooh, I hope Case and Mike are doing okay. <laughs> like, this is like, why are the first 15 minutes so dark? I, late April, the Voice Gate Boys are crushing it. Thriving is what I like to call us. We're thriving right now. Uh, It's going to be interesting as someone who I loved Barry and, you know, three years like this. I I think because right now the thing I do every day and it's it's usually 45 minutes before I feed him is Pudge. This sounds, by the way, this this has the start of like a Mark Wahlberg daily schedule where it's the thing (laughs) I do every day to guarantee success. I'd like to hear this this from you. Well, well, what I've been doing to guarantee success is playing fetch with the dog for about (laughs) half an hour to 45 minutes while I'm doing a rewatch of classic Seinfeld. Because I realized like I was way too young to watch the Seinfeld Chronicles when it debuted. Like eighty nine, like I was three then. Like I, the even though my first reading did come from the TV guide, I did learn how to read from the TV guide, which explains a lot. Case if you yeah, really very much w- so want to want to boil it down. But uh, I, I'm watching Seinfeld right now. I'm through season three right now, and it's just something that it. Uh, how much of early Seinfeld have you watched? Like, have you gone back recently and seen like eighty nine, ninety, ninety one Seinfeld? Yeah, I've I've seen every episode. It is interesting the tonal shift that they make about partway through the third season, because I do believe the Michael Schur school of if you're doing a sitcom, your first 10 episodes, your first season, you should be able to just throw it out because Seinfeld really has that because like the whole romance with Elaine and the will they won't they they really play up in the first two and a half seasons and then just the giant tonal shift that it goes through partway through. And that's been really interesting, but I might eject out of this. So that because I feel like I need to rewatch the first two seasons of Barry just to get it fresh in my brain before I start watching season three. I might eject out of Seinfeld to do that rewatch. So next time when we're going to do our what do we call it? Was it the Barry report or like the the minute of Barry? <laughs> I, next think, time we'll have this. I like the Barry report. <laughs> the Barry report. Next time we'll do this, I'll be I'll be keyed up to it. But did you notice that with like the first few seasons of Seinfeld, like the tonal shift, like when they realized that jerry and elaine just don't work as an interesting on-screen couple i don't like the show until the chinese restaurant and i think the general consensus is that is when the show figured out what it was but like season two you know the deal is a great episode the revenge is a great episode but the pony remark is one of my least favorite episodes of the entire series there's a lot of season two that doesn't really hit because not only are they exploring jerry and elaine at that point in a way that isn't totally interesting but there's also like i'm i'm a i'm a costanza fan i think people have their characters on the show i like george and i don't think they had totally figured out george until season three and once once you hit season three now you're approaching oh this that's right this is the greatest show of all time everything from here on out until the finale is top-notch stuff you know when they figured out george i I figured out the episode it is the episode where the girl he convinces the girl he's seeing to get rhinoplasty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's when the, the, that's when George became online. Whereas Kramer, Kramer was online from the go. Like that's the one thing I'll say is early Kramer 
holds up as someone who does identify with kramer a, a lot like definitely holds up this it takes the rhinoplasty episode for george to really come online in that way i come from a very self-deprecating family a family with a really good sense of humor and i think i was 18 years old i was in the car with my dad and we were talking about seinfeld as we're one to do whenever we see each other and i said at that moment you know i unfortunately i really identify with a lot of george costanza and the car comes to a stop and he looks at me dead in the eyes and my father's not a super serious person but he was like hey man you can't you can't say that about yourself i i don't know what's going on like we pay a lot of money for you to see this therapist i don't know what's going on i don't know if she's not doing a good enough job but you can't say that about yourself you know like do I have the luck of a George Costanza? Yes, but I get how your dad's being defensive, saying, no, you don't want to call yourself a George Costanza. I, I, look, I would be bummed if my son watched Seinfeld and was like, I think I'm the George of the Fred group. Like, no, I from his perspective, I get it. Now, reality might say something different, but if I was a father, I, I wouldn't want to be raising the George of the Fred group. Yeah, and as someone who... The Kramer things just reached me at a certain point there. Identifying with Kramer, other than I know that there's a certain household in Ireland would love for me to be their Kramer. I don't know long term for me, you know, though the Kramer getting an intern is one of the uh, the, the best uh, C plot in the history of a TV show. Yeah, there's a, that, that's that's true. It's there. The first two and a half seasons is really carried by Kramer. And then once they. You know, by season three, no, by season four, that they're working on the NBC show. And right. that is yeah. that is when George really comes into his own. And, and George is so, so funny in those episodes. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of good George stuff later. But Kramer, far and away, first two and a half seasons, he's the star of the show. I was watching the episode today that was... Uh the baseball game and jerry is dating the artist who paints horrible artwork and <laughs> elaine gets into the fight with her dad at the yankees game that she's wearing a baltimore Orioles hat on that's a great I'm episode like, i'm just like god like the for a certain time period for a period of eight years a writing staff was just you know nolan ryan throwing no hitters just nonstop. oh was, one could say the seinfeld writing staff for eight years was dragon gate booking and 2021 and 2022 all right you knocked that out of the park so on this week's program we've got a lot to talk about uh w of course we have the corkin the second april corkin from the 25th to talk about with a whole lot of news we talked earlier this month about how the kness retirement show on the 7th was its own thing this one very much was a momentous uh dragon gate show so we'll be talking a lot of this and a lot of news that came out of both that and the Kobe Sambo Hall show that they had this weekend as we start looking ahead to uh, Dead or Alive coming up next Thursday. Yeah, the hot season's upon us here. So I think, in case we were talking about this off-air doing our pre-pro here, we're just going to lead off and we're going to work our way back talking about the biggest news coming out of Corkin. And, of course, that is the rights to negotiate three-way six-man tag team match between high-end natural vibes and z brats there was a winner there were two winners actually as there was a double fall uh with uh both z brats and natural vibes gaining a fall a fall on the others while uh high end got the first elimination so 
Jason Lee was free to hear the pitch from both of them. He faked like he was going to Zebrats. Instead, he kicked Shun Skywalker in the head. And the seventh member of Natural Vibes is Jason Lee. From start to finish, and we can even lump in Jason Lee versus Ho-Ho Loon, which happened earlier on this show, which was really just an extended angle to get to this point. This is something I don't know historically, I don't know how many people listening to this podcast five years from now are going to think of this as a monumental angle. And I don't think it birthed a superstar, and I don't think during, say, the 25-year history of the company when they're doing video packages in Kobe counting down the best moments. I don't know if Jason Lee kicking Shun Skywalker in the head is going to make that list, but on a personal level with my investment in Shun Skywalker, my investment in Jason Lee, two of my favorite wrestlers on Earth, and my investment in this angle, which I think has been perfectly executed every step of the way from... Shun turning on Daya in December to the awkward masquerade tags, the dying days of masquerade at the end of December and early January. Shun's turn and his obsession with quite literally owning Jason Lee throughout the first four months of the year. I think it has been perfectly executed, and this will go down as, on a personal level, one of my favorite moments I've seen in this company. I... I can't believe the audacity, and I watch your thoughts on this quick, doing a double pin in a match with these specific stipulations, I I can't believe they did that, and I'm so happy they did. What a brilliant way to go about this closing angle, at least to me. What are your thoughts on the finish? I think that, uh, I, I'm mostly in agreement, but I think what was really shown here that Dragon Gate is able to do that. I don't think very many promotions are able to do, and this is one of the reasons when Case and I are going off on our Dragon Gate bullshit, I know that, as we are one to do. Sometimes, you know, the hyperbole uh, mitigates what we're saying, but Dragon Gate's understanding of wrestling, understanding their audience, because I don't know if a lot of crowds would have... uh, been as receptive to that basically 45 minutes that played out in front of them. But the Dragon Gate audience, they knew what they were in for. So the fact that there was a double pinfall, they they didn't view it as a fuck finish because they knew there was going to be some sort of finality here. Now, if this was a company that has uh, disregarded the trust that their fans and customers put into them, yeah, no. The, the, then you could look at this and go like, oh, how how dare they do this kind of screwball finish here? But Dragon Gate's special. Dragon Gate, you know, it's the right situation that you can do this there. And now, because they did this there and did it in front of the crowd, now they could play off the double pinfall for a while. And that's something that other promotions quite honestly can't do because they don't have the trust of their fans. They don't understand the relationship the fans have with the rule set. I don't even think AEW, for as much trust as their as their fan base has in them, I don't think AEW could get away with doing that finish in a big spot like this. Now, I do love the parallel universe in which AEW is doing uh, the rights to a human stipulation. I would love to see the Thomas Holzerman think piece on that. (laughs) The Holzerman would have a lot of takes about this. (laughs) First off, he would call it sus to begin with because the guy's a... That that is something that I could talk about off air. The, the the discourse of AEW doing a rights to a human match would be 
unbeatable. I I hope Tony Khan has the guts to one day do it. But I, the the point being, you're exactly right. This is this is one of those. I think the from the main event onwards, because it's a it's a main event that I said in my review over at VoicesWrestling.com. To me, it was classic Drangate with a fresh coat of paint. It's the style of match that we would expect to see from a Shima or a Tozawa or a Shingo or Mochizuki when he was a push commodity. We're just now doing it with Jason Lee and Shun Skywalker and Hyo and Casey, et cetera, et cetera. But it's just one of those deals where I, I don't I, I watch this and I don't know how you could come away not loving it because it is so exactly what I want from wrestling. I mean, a- answer me this, Mike. Going into this match, were you dead set on Jason Lee joining one specific unit or did you think it was up in the air? I thought it was up in the air because of the fact that you had a unit in here that desperately needed more members, basically. I like natural vibes. Like we talked about this. Like I, I think first and foremost, natural vibes did not need Jason. Now they have abundance of riches now in natural vibes, natural. Uh, Jason could have helped out high end at the very least. And the whole storyline with Shun and Zebras was compelling enough that, yeah, I could have gone either way. I was not locked in my thought before I saw this. Nor was I. So you're put in this situation where you have a stipulation that's not only going to matter as we go throughout the rest of the year with what unit Jason Lee lands in, and I would expect to see Jason Lee as a very important figure going forward, and I have my thoughts on that that I can share in just a minute, but you have the stipulation where the result is genuinely uncertain. I mean, we follow this promotion closer than anybody, and even in the Discord, even on uh, you know, the Voice of Wrestling Discord, there was a lot of, well, I think he's going to end up in, in Zebras, and I think he's going to end up in high end. And, I, you know, my thought was he's going to join D-Courage. I, th- I thought he and Dragon Daya and Yuki Yoshioka would have made a really nice trio as they would attempt to fill out that unit, but it looks like that might not happen. So doing a double pin just to milk even more emotion out of this situation where now not only is Jason choosing whether or not he joins the unit that has the right to ask him this question but there's now an ultimatum between those two units and the way that he sold it this is this is what i find to be so interesting is you know for the past year i've talked about jason lee being the best junior heavyweight in all of wrestling and i genuinely believe that i said it during our dead or alive review last year i said I've been watching Jason and Drangate for four years now. He was good when he came in. He's consistently gotten better. He's been a focal point of some of the greatest matches in Dragon Gate history. And that is not hyperbole. If you watch the Final Gate 2017 open the Triangle Gate match with Yamato, BB Hulk, and KZ versus Doi, Yoshino, and Jason Lee, which I asked Jason about last year when I wrote my uh, History of Masato Yoshino article over at VoicesOfWrestling.com one of the greatest matches in the history of Dragon Gate, and it would not be the match that it is without Jason Lee. So we've seen this guy time after time after time. He has these amazing matches, and I feel like he's slept on for whatever reason. Obviously, from the global wrestling fan perspective, because there's a lot of people in Dragon Gate right now, arguably now more than ever, that are not getting the love that they deserve. But even within the context of the the hardcore English-speaking Dragon Gate fan, I started looking around last year. I was like, wait, who 
who's better than this guy at doing the junior heavyweight style? Like, you know, yes, you know, Yamato and Shun, these guys are technically smaller than your average heavyweight, but they wrestle like heavyweights. Jason wrestles like a junior and he's better than Ishimori. He's better than anyone Noah or God forbid all Japan has to offer. And I don't trust Hiromu to stay healthy. And I think Hiromu's had enough injuries at this point to where he's not the same wrestler that he once was. So I've established my thoughts on him as being the best junior heavyweight in the world. The thing that is so amazing to me about this story, Shun versus Jason, which, as I said in my review, other than CM Punk versus MJF, which I think is on an entirely different level, Shun versus Jason is the best story I've seen in wrestling this year. And I think there's a gap between one and two and then a gap between two and whatever three might be. I think this story has been that good for Jason to dig down and show emotion and heart and character work the way that he did is something that I did not know he had in him. And it makes the next six months of his career, now that he's joining Natural Vibes, which is going to be a well-oiled machine, a beloved babyface unit with guys that are already at the top of the card. Natural Vibes is just, it's perfect. I, I wish Jason wasn't in there because I love their dynamic so much, but I have no doubt that Jason is going to crush it in Natural Vibes. But he now has this level of character work that I think could help him take another step up. I thought we had seen his peak as a twin gate champion, a number two on a triangle gate team, uh, somebody who was more than worthy of being open, the brave gate champion at some point in his career. But I watched Jason Lee go through these emotions. I watch him sell his, his heart and soul. When, when Shun Skywalker offered him his hand, and it looked like Jason was going to join Zebrats. And I have to give credit to Paul and the Voices of Wrestling Discord, who pointed out that it was a mirror image of when Shun joined R.E.D. earlier this year, the way Jason shook Shun's hand and momentarily joined Zebrats. The way that he sold this hazy, uh, almost spellbound, dead-behind-the-eyes look right before he kicked Shun in the head and then was suddenly... Uh, overcome with emotion as he joined natural vibes. I did not think he had this in him and whether he gets to the main event, whether he, whether he ever challenges for the dream gate or not, I do not know, but I know he has main event talent and he is learning and speaking Japanese very, very well. So he has all of the tools at this point to become uh, whatever he wants to be. There is no ceiling on Jason Lee anymore. And that's the most exciting part of this story is that he went nose to nose with Shun Skywalker, a former Dreamgate champion, a confirmed main eventer, a top of the line guy in Jason Lee in terms of his in-ring and his character work was on his level. So one thing that I think really, I think one big thing has really changed with Jason. And it's something that I... I, I preach this a lot, Case, but it's very important. The fact that Jason speaks Japanese this well is a big thing, both within the crowd's perception, and I could tell from the confidence they're letting him get out there on a microphone. You know, like that, the, the, that's the thing that puts him aside and puts him apart from your Flamitas, your Ricochets, your Packs, because although they live there and, and all of that, like being able to be comfortable on a microphone and what might be Jason's third or fourth language is something that is so intrinsically important in being a Dragon Gate star that, you know, I'll, 
the the uh, middle league tag team for a long time i said that was his mountaintop just because of there was going to be the ceiling and that ceiling's no longer there after this week and it's gonna be really fascinating because it, it it's something where pack and ricochet they are family they are dragon gate guys but there's like a disconnect there that will always kind of be there and it's not it's not necessarily a negative thing. It's just a reality of of just being in a Westerner wrestling in Japan. Whereas with Jason and, and his fluence and his comfortableness, was just doing Japanese promos is a big thing. And I think that's something that could also helps out natural vibes in a way that we didn't ex- expect because you really have KZ and Ginky doing a lot of the promo work. Sometimes you'll have, uh, you'll have Susumu chipping in and you'll have something with JFK and UT, but if if Jace if Jason is is this comfortable, that that opens up a new avenue for natural vibes as well that was not there before. By the way, how awesome was it that Jackie made a plea in Cantonese to Jason in an that effort so to get cute. him to join natural? There was there. That's the thing. Like this this promo segment after the main event, which the main event was one of the best Dragon Gate matches of the year. I went four and a half stars on it. Yamato doing a double Frankensteiner of the Almighty was the best thing he's done in months. The finishing stretch was incredible, and the actual finish I thought was brilliant. And then you have this post-match angle, which I implore you, if you're a Drangate Network subscriber and you have not seen this yet, you need to sit down, you need to watch the main event with Jay and Ho-Ho translating, because at some point Jackie takes the mic and makes a plea in Jason's own language to him. And I was like, this is just another layer of, of care and detail and emotion in a way that only Dragon Gate brings to the table. And it's so good. And I was so sucked into all of this. It was, it was such a great main event angle that would, would have a place on American television wrestling, but it was executed with the care and the emotion of Dragon Gate, which is, you know, if you listen to Ultimo Dragon, that might be his goal for the promotion. This is probably what he envisioned when he founded Toriumon in 1999 was a segment this good and this emotional. I mean, Ultimo just cares about tears. He wants to get people in their feelings. So, of course, he loves this. And... It's also worth noting here, also in the post-match segment, uh, yeah, but but the match itself, I was four and a quarter, a little bit lower than K's, but yeah, this is one of the best matches in a Dragon Gate ring so far this year. But we finally had the stipulation for Dead or Alive case. Uh, Kai said, okay, I'd set this match, but there's going to be some stipulations for you. And the, the official stipulation is, is title versus name and unit. So if Susumi Koska wins, he becomes a third he gets his starts his third open the Dreamgate tile run. However, if Kai retains, he gets to claim the Susumu Yokosuka name. Susumu has to revert back to Susumu Mochizuki for the first time in 21 years, and he must leave Natural Vibes. So we're getting a little bit of risk here in Dead or Alive, even though we're not going to cage match, Case. And that came out of the post match. This Dead or Alive card is bonkers. I really hope we're able to come on this show next week and talk about Dead or Alive as a bona fide show of the year contender, we will have an audio preview of Dead or Alive in some form or fashion next week. I may or may not be on that show due to some scheduling conflicts. We're trying to figure that out right now. But this Dead or Alive show is bonkers on paper. And I don't want to dissect 
the possible outcome of Susumu versus Kai right now. I think we'll save that for that show, but I want to get a head count on natural vibes with the inclusion of Jason and your thoughts on this seven man unit that is KZ, Genki Horiguchi, Susumu Yokosuka, Big Boss Shimizu, UT, Jackie Funky Kamei, and now Jason Lee. That's a lot of guys, Mike. What are your thoughts here? Well, I mean, it's now over full. Six in my mind is the perfect amount for a face unit because it lets you basically have a singles, a tag team, and a trio match on a show. And now you can do even more of seven. Uh, top end kind of remains the same. Jason is on an ascent, but he's not going to challenge KZ to be a number one. Uh, pretty good number three behind Susumu. Susumu sticks around. Would be a rising number two if Susumu leaves. And, I mean, we're going to get a lot of really... Like, imagine the 10-man tags now that Natural Vibes can put on, and they can still have another Natural Vibe presence on the show. Like, that is the beauty of having a 7-man unit, is you're able to pull that off here. Whereas the heels still are at 6. That point about 10-man tags, which I... You know, we obviously don't know if that's in the cards anytime soon, but that just sold me on there being 7 people on Natural Vibes in a in a way that I just... That blew my mind. You're exactly right, is... I talked last week about, you know, it seems like on these smaller shows, they're running high-end versus gold class, or they're running natural vibes versus Z-Brats in the main event. And I think the vibes versus Z-Brats matches are smoking high-end versus gold class. And now we're put in a situation where we can get, you know, KZ and Shimizu and Genki and Jackie and UT and Jason versus, you know, Shun, Diamante, Hyo, SB Kento, Kai, etc. I mean... That is an incredible thought. Do you think there's anything to the idea? That's a very risky proposition, but somebody brought it up to me over the weekend, and I've been thinking about it for a few days now. Is Natural Vibes done at seven, or do you think they're planting seeds for an eighth member? I just... Eight members for a face unit is kind of insane <laughs> it's 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 a lot especially considering the fact that they all have to do a coordinated dance routine right <laughs> yeah so jason's kind of <laughs> uh jason i know jason is good on the court but we have to see how he is on the dance floor you jason, know jason lee that's a thank you for bringing that up there's a new dragon gate plays basketball video on the dragon gate network and jason lee was draining jumpers i mean if you thought this guy was a good wrestler his jump shot is even prettier but not to jump ahead to the Kobe show that we're going to talk about, but the hip hop Kakuda angle on that show was very peculiar in the way that they set it up. And I had somebody reach out to me over the weekend and they asked like, Oh, do you think that's, are they teasing Kakuta joining vibes? Cause that's the impression I got from it. And this is before Jason joined. And my, my response was God, I hope not. Cause I think natural vibes is perfect the way they are. I wouldn't touch a thing. I, you know, Jason is only going to be a net positive wherever he goes. I don't think Kakuta joining Natural Vibes is a strong possibility, and I also think his charisma and his presence would wildly throw off the chemistry in this unit. So I hope they cap it at seven, and Kakuta can shuffle into literally any other unit. Yeah, uh, so I have two things about that. Uh, Kakuta and Natural Vibes, I'm totally with you there. I kind of see... I, I, I think Ata and SMJ have a thing going on. And a Twin Towers tag team of Kakuta and SMJ makes a lot of sense to me. So, I don't see that. And the thing that I wanted 
to put out there just because it's been bouncing around in my head. And if I don't get this out here, then I'm just going to live with this. And when this happens, then uh, if I call it, I'm not going to have people say, Mike, you're right. You said this on audio. You can't do that if you don't say things, Gase, right? But, like, <laughs> this, I, this is true. <laughs> I, I got to get this down on tape. I think we are more likely to see an eventual breakup now of Natural Vibes than getting an eighth member. It's bloated. When these units get bloated, that usually means that they're, the end is closer than the beginning. So I just, seven I, and maybe six by next Thursday. I, I think that's it. I mean, Natural Vibes technically is the longest tenured unit right now in the company. So, I mean, they're always on the clock. And the bigger you get, they, they like adding people into a unit right before breakup. So. I don't know. So so let's say Susumu goes by the wayside. He loses to Kai. He loses his name. He loses natural vibes. Are we now at a point in Dragon Gate where Susumu Yokosuka gets filtered into that unaffiliated Legends role and he's teaming with Kondo and Kanda and Fuji and undercards? Or does he slot into a different unit? I, I, I've seen a lot of reaction thinking that this is like the start of the end of Susumu, which I he, he doesn't even make my list of people I suspect. Do I could I see him taking a spec a step back from the front lines? Yeah, with how the company's changed over the last thirty six months. I think that that's a a big likelihood. I, I, I think though, like likening him to like Kanda and Fuji is not where I see him, I kind of see him like where Mochizuki is, where Mochizuki kind of, if he leaves, he's unaffiliated. Yes, he does the rec league match a lot of times, but he is the one they will always will pull for title matches. He's the one that they will always pull for important things. And I see that as the most uh, realistic uh, future ahead of Susumi Okoska if he loses the title match at Dead or Alive. Is 2022 the last King of Gate that Susumi Okoska will be involved in? No, no. I, 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 I think, I mean, they made the damn thing 32 people this year, and there's still people on this list that I'm like, you made the 32, so we have some people here who I don't think we normally would have a, <laughs> in this. I don't think Susumu is on that end of the cut line. Uh, I mean, if, if they're going back to block play next year, I, I, I'd be a little bit more worried if I'm Problem Dragon or Yosuke Samaria that I'm not going to be working it, not Susumu Yokosuka. Hey, that Maria Jackie match in Kobe is one that I have circled as a hey, this this is going to be a sleeper three and three fun. quarter four star match. I am ex- oh my god, we're gonna talk about King of Gate later. I am so I'm gonna cuss. I'm so fucking excited for King of Gate, Mike. I'm Gay-Sinica. so excited. <laughs> I'm oh my god, I can't wait for this tournament. Yeah, so. I, I, I don't know. I'm not as I, I know that with Kness and we'll get into Gamma and Shisa later, one could easily and I think like without really jumping to conclusions, think like, God, look at the old generations being phased out. Susumu losing his going back to his real name and getting kicked out of natural vibes, he's next up. I I mean, I'm right now looking at the thirty two people in the tournament and I can name one Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people I would cut before Susumi Yokosuka if they were going to go to twenty-four. So, do you think? Do you think Shisa's leaving because he found out they were doing a thirty-two-man King of Gate and he wasn't one of the thirty-two involved? I think. I think Shisa's leaving because he's old. 
And <laughs> I, I think I, you're I mean, correct. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I don't mean to be callous about it. I think she's just leaving because he's old and he only worked Kobe Sambo Hall shows for the last three years. And, you know, I guess he's no longer on the board of directors anymore. I, I think you're correct. I don't think he left because he's not a king of gate, but that's a very, a very funny reality of a guy who seems, you know, we've always heard he's a very hard-nosed trainer. Like, Shisa will beat you up with a dojo, but I've never heard of Super Shisa having an ego problem, but I can just imagine on the Drangate bulletin board, he sees the King of Gate line. He's like, you fucking kidding me? I'm not in this tournament. <laughs> and he splits because of that. Ah, problem Dragon? Problem yeah. Dragon's kidding you? <laughs> but that isn't Gifu. That isn't his hometown. But Problem well, Dragon? Oh my god, we just swap those two out. It could have been Akuda versus Shisa, which is the type of thing that I'm into. <laughs> I mean, I swear to God, if they don't put the uh, Fujiwara Ihashi matchup on YouTube, case okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna freak. I will. That's, freak. Well, that, that's in Kobe, so that's no, no, that's oh. that's in Kifu too. No, 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 no. I've got, I've got the lineup right here. The five uh, fourteen is UT versus Kagatora and Problem Dragon versus Okuda, but five fifteen in Kobe is Ihashi versus Fujiwara. Okay, I'm looking at the Facebook page, and they have them on different days. Let me let me double check, but I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure I'm right here as I uh, quickly oh, I scroll don't. through the uh, and it's not up there. That's a bummer. Um, I, I'm I'm right on this one. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm right on this one. Oh hey, no, I'd rather be in Kobe too. But you know, I'm just reacting to the reality that was presented in front of me. Uh so I think we've covered this main event. We've we have other stuff we kind of want to touch on, and we'll get back to King of Gate later. Uh, do you have any other big Thoughts on the main event before we start going back down the uh, Corkin card? Interesting. Hold on. I'm looking at the English King of Gate schedule, and it has Fujiwara versus Ihashi on that house show in UT and versus Kifu. Kagatori and Kobe. That is not what the Japanese site had listed. If I can find that real quick. You talk. I'm going to look for this. Yeah, so I'll just continue going down the show. Uh, the semi-main event, this was Minorita versus the Metal Warrior, who has been harassing him for over the last few weeks uh menorita lost to the blue destiny which quickly was revealed and it was pretty obvious as soon as you saw him in the ring that the metal warriors were peros del mall and the metal warrior that menorita faced was kataro suzuki and gold class after no one in dragon gate wanting to face the undefeated at triangle gate champion teams uh no will stop by so it will be nosawa wrong guy eta and Kataro Suzuki versus the Gold Class Triangle Gate team of Kota Menonora, Kaido Ishida, and Naruki Doi at Gate of Destiny. Okay, finally, my final thoughts on King of Gate real quick on the uh, Spora blog, that official kind of website that isn't the official Dragon Gate website, but they post right. news to there. But, but it's, it's Gayora. Yeah. yeah. So that's where I got the lineup from, and that has ishin versus fujiwara and kobe and ut versus kagatora and gifu so i am going to side with the japanese site until further notice nah okay so hey i, I think that's a win for everyone then it's on the kobe show which makes that kobe show even more bad more badass honestly and and i would hope to god that ut versus kagatora makes youtube because that match sounds super super good Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so my main event, uh, the Mel Warriors, their Peros del Mall. We had basically like a two-minute angle where Minorita was trying to run around, basically, away from the Metal Warrior. And I, were you surprised at all that this was Peros? I, as soon as I saw the blue sneakers, I was like, all right, this has to be someone from outside. I was like, oh, it's Peros, and it ended up being Peros. 
I was surprised that it was Peros, but I'm I'm I wasn't surprised as soon as they were unveiled. If that makes sense, I'm disappointed that I didn't come to that conclusion. I thought we were. I thought Ata was largely done with them in the context of Dragon Gate. But here's the thing: I saw some people shitting on this because it's Nozawa, and rightfully so. But I maintain that Nozawa was so entertaining in that October Open the Twin Gate match when it was him and Ata versus Jason and Kota that main evented Cork and Hall, that I am okay with Nozawa coming back again, and this time they have Kotaro Suzuki. So I think that's going to be a hot little match at Dead or Alive. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I I think for like this kind of scenario, and, it, I, and it's something that I think recent fans might not know, uh, Nozawa's had a relationship with Dragon Gate basically since they were all in Nakapon and Toriumon. <laughs> so he, he shows up occasionally. Yes, right now he is a certain uh public enemy of certain parts of the wrestling internet right now but in a weird way if he's not family he might be like the uh he he's the local street tough that you that that gets brought in for holidays like that's what nosawa's relationship is and eta in this i mean it's clear that they kind of want eta if they're going with uh the summer of eta eta getting his groove back this is fine because then you'll do the consolidation around him uh, and the and his unit coming out of King of Gate after he wins it, so it doesn't bother me that he's doing this and not like defending the GHC Junior Title here. You know that's it's fine, it's whatever. Yeah, I'm into this because again, I liked the first Paros appearance so much. We get Kotaro Suzuki here, which I think is a win. And as the number one Minorita fan in the universe, outside of maybe Sarah Forel. I think Minorita is going to have an awesome spot with Nozawa in this match. And that is fun for the whole family. That is something I can get behind. So, you know, the metal warrior thing was strange. It seemed obvious in hindsight, even if I, you know, I didn't put together. I don't think you did. I didn't see anybody guessing Peros, at least in our bubble before this happened. But once Nozawa took his mask off, it was like, Oh, duh. Okay. So I think that's going to be a nice little triangle gate match. I'm looking forward to it. As soon as uh, Jay mentioned that Riki Ahashi's injured, that's when I was like, okay, it's got to be outside the company. Did I think it, as soon as I saw the sneakers, that's when I went, oh, it's probably Peros. But I was, I was thinking it was future kids up until, you know, the Riki Ahashi news during the show. Uh, The future thing made sense, but also seemed so unrealistic, but I couldn't get, I was like, what are they going to put Zebras and masks? Like, why would they do that? I couldn't. I couldn't land on outsiders that would make sense, but I was obviously neglecting Peros, so uh, this is fine. It's not the most exciting match on Dead or Alive, but I think it's going to be worthwhile. And before this, we had uh, Gold Class versus Masaki Mochizuki, Shuji Kondo, and Yazushi Kanda. It was the R301 on Kanda. Uh, My favorite note here was about how apparently Minorita has gotten Kondo's ire because he's stealing his damn cookies. (laughs) <laughs> yeah there i i th- i wrote in my review i thought this was on the weaker end of gold class matches that i've seen but on the opposing side shuji kondo who should be kept in a bubble from this state we're recording april 26th through may 11th the opening round of king of gate so that he can actually participate in king of gate this year kondo had a nice little stretch here he and kaito Ishida beat each other up i thought they looked good 
I don't expect Kondo to do anything worthwhile or important for the rest of the year. So I really hope that if he has a big match at Dead or Alive that he delivers there. But more importantly, I hope he's healthy and well-rested for that Kai match on May 11th because that could be super exciting. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Kondo window has shifted now that I think like it's really like... I would like to see Kondo, you know, maybe gain an upset, you know, uh, over Kai in the tournament. Like, that's my big hope is Kai gets to have a can't gate run right now but the match itself it was fine uh kondo and, and ishida i really like that pairing those two have something together but I, I i'm kind of with you on your review there i was three and a quarter on this match this was not the strongest one of theirs but i was i i'm glad they're doing stuff with gold class because gold class other than being like winning champions have now felt static over the last few weeks i'm glad that with the Paros thing of Manorita, it's given them a little bit of spark while the unit kind of is in its early days before they started to expand. Yeah, I mean, you could only get so much out of high end, and we've seen that sort of play its course, and Gold Class needed something else to latch onto. And whether or not the Paros match at Dead or Alive is a great match, I think is certainly up for question. But I do think for as much as they're allowed to have heat, within the current context of the COVID crowds. I think that's going to be a heated match, and hopefully, you know, Kotaro and Eita and Dozawa grind Minora into a pulp to a way that he can make a Valiant babyface comeback and win and get something out of this experiment. I think long-term, this could be a very favorable match for Minora and his growth, even if it's not going to be the best match that he's going to have this year. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase 
by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. No, I think that's all entirely fair. Uh, moving down the card, we had a, another trios match. This was a big unaffiliated mess. Ata, Strong Machine J, Ishinahashi defeated Yosuke Samaria, La Estrella, and Takuma Fujiwara. It was SMJ with a machine suplex on Yosuke Samaria. And Case, I think Ata and Strong Machine J have a thing going on. Okay. They absolutely do, and their chemistry is rock solid. And what did I say on this show last week? I said, if you can buy Strong Machine J stock right now, it's at an all-time low, buy some. Because this guy's feeling himself. He's in a bit yeah, of a the groove right now. Yeah, the market. We, the, the, the new future bit, yeah. <laughs> and look, uh, you, it already you, paid you, off for you, Case. <laughs> the stock already paid off for you. You've already, like, like this, it's already gone to the moon. SMJ stock's to the moon right now. You know me. I have been... My, my two things with Strong Machine J... He debuted April of 2019, and I'm still convinced that he might have had the single greatest debut match in the history of pro wrestling because his debut match was four stars. Now, he was in there with Genki, Susumu, KZ, and Don Fuji. At, we'll take rookie SMJ and Gamma on the same uh, level of talent, but he yes, was in there. Yes, with, no, he was in, I, I think that's completely <laughs> fair. Hey, that was 2019 Gamma. You know how I felt about early 2019 Gamma. Was that the year that he was wrestler of the year for the first like two months? Yeah, because he was, or was great. That, was, or was that 2020? Did 2020 begin with Gamma being the best wrestler in the world, and then we ended, we ended the year in a pandemic? I, you, you know, uh, I think you have something there. I think you do. This is Mike wants to so, play around. Mike wants to have fun. And what he didn't realize is that complimenting Gamma was actually the most dangerous thing that he could have done. Th- then case in theory, shouldn't Gamma retiring in August then end it all then? You would fucking hope so, man. I am so <laughs> sick of this pandemic. <laughs> because, because guys, this, this would make sense because my, my weird ability to speak things into existence is on record at this point. Guys, I'm sorry that I, that my speaking gamma, the 2020 wrestler of the year into existence, January and February 2020, resulted in the last two years. That That's on me. I apologize. I will do better in the future and prove that I have learned my lesson here where i'm looking at gamma's cage match right now and there's no way that any of these matches in january or february of both 2019 and 2020 were any good i can't dude he was great he was great was he had four okay. star matches was ben k and yamato versus gamma and mochi one of the matches that you really liked yeah it okay. ruled okay that was 2020 so you praising gamma again not entirely responsible for COVID, but it couldn't have helped Again, I apologize, and I'll do better in the future. That's my bad. (laughs) These are the things to think about. But anyways, my things with Strong Machine J, I think he might have had the greatest debut match of all time, and it has been diminishing returns ever since, and I've been very hard on him. I I mean, I said a year ago, I just don't see a future in this company where Strong Machine J is a relevant entity. I I thought Drangate had passed him by to such an extreme degree that his presence was grating. But lately... 
I think he's been a ton of fun. I like the chemistry that he has with Ata. My issue with this match, and maybe you can fill in a gap for me. Maybe I missed something. Why are Ata and Maria not teaming still? Why were they on opposing sides in this match? That drove me nuts. Well, Ata uh, promised her a Twin Gate match, and they had a Twin Gate match, you know? Like, he's trying to move on here. You know, Maria is the one that constantly keeps on getting into his life, you know? I I get that. I'm disappointed because I thought I thought after their Twin Gate match, they would grow to accept one another. And I'm I'm a little unsatisfied with how that story has played out. I wish there was more not even more, just some some finality one way or another with A ten Maria. Oh, so Case wants finality and that's an M angle. Okay. Yeah, I want closure. God forbid I get that. I get broken <laughs> up with Out of the Blue all the time, Mike. Okay, I want closure for once in my life, and it's going to come through Aton, Yosuke, Santa Maria. I, I, I didn't know that this had a personal nerve. I apologize. Oh, well, yeah, I, I, I'm yeah. sorry. You, <laughs> uh, uh, you have uh, no idea, my friend. <laughs> Genki, Kido, drop into Case's DMs. Tell him, tell him how this was supposed to lay out here. <laughs> come on. Help, 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 help a buddy. Help out a buddy. Uh, I, I got to give you credit for being on the Ishini Hashi bandwagon as early as you were, because man, has he taken the ball and ran with it when Ricky's been injured. He's been so cool. Like it, it, his body type is not the Dragon Gate norm with it. And it kind of works for him because he's kind of just like this rampaging bull and it works. And he did a bit of grappling in this. I was going like, all right, that's pretty sick. And it made me wonder what would happen if Ishan got to go and do a CWA tournament in 1993. That's an actual <laughs> thing I've written in my notebook because Ishanahashi rules. He is, he, he's the loud mouth and you know, I, I, he's, you're right. Since Ricky apparently has been hurt, uh, he's been able to use this time off to his benefit. And it's paid off for him. He's in King Gate this year. Yeah, th I still think when Ricky comes back, assuming that he can go from when he returns, there's so many natural things working in his benefit. The way that he projects his look, the way he wrestles, and Ishan doesn't really have any of that going for him. He's really working uh, with an unlevel playing field because of his look, because of his in-ring style, things that are a little bit more atypical in the Drangate universe. He's even not they ugly. Ishan is not ugly. He's like, not. Like, he's, he's not. He's not ugly, but he's no Ricky Ihashi. Okay, one brother won those genetics, and it was not Ishan. But I mean, if you have that head of hair, you've already won. My God, what a man! But you know, Ishan, I I think his look and his style would be very beneficial in nowhere, New Japan or All Japan, or, or certainly in America. But in Drangate, it puts him behind the eight ball a little bit. But he's showing that he is good enough to to work through that, get some crowd reactions. He's looked great on all of these shows, and I'm stoked for him because there was a real sink or swim moment with him here away from his brother. If he didn't kill it in all of these matches, I think we would watch his stock plummet. But instead, I'm going like, oh, that's right. I really like Ishan. I, I, I think he's got an exciting future ahead of him, even if my ceiling for Ricky is still much higher. Yeah, no, I think you're 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 totally right on that because what happens if Ishan takes the ball and immediately falls flat on his face? It doesn't only hurt Ishan, it also hurts Ricky when Ricky Absolutely. comes back. Yeah, that's that's so, a very good point. 
so to this uh just because we I've, I've only mentioned his name once and he is the 2022 rookie of the year takuma fujiwara was in this match and he did cool things yeah he's he's awesome he and ishan wrestled like an amateur wrestling contest for yes. the first five minutes of this match it was awesome where do you think i got my cwa 1993 line from <laughs> i assume you had been watching some some your auto watts tapes in between oh, uh, uh drangate viewing but uh no that was that was phenomenal grappling that was let's just say timothy thatcher could never ah don't get me started don't get i i'm trying to be nice today i'm trying to be nice today and i don't need to just i i mean jay did enough working stiff on the show for all of us so that's okay i mean he he did a drive-by on the noah's gaijin situation in this match oh my jay, god well jay it, it's so funny jay's comments on noah just in general it it works on two levels because one he's the drangate announcer and he should be loyal to drangate but also you know we know that he doesn't watch wrestling outside of Drangate in his dis the disdain in his voice for even Daisuke Harada but just all of the Noah juniors was such a beautiful thing to hear working stiff isn't a brand choice case it is a lifestyle it's a lifestyle I love that yeah uh match four was a tag match this was uh high-end versus uh natural vibes we had dk and keisuke akuda from high-end versus ginky horikuchi and ut of natural vibes dragon kid got the win on ut because if you keep on using his arch rivals moves against him he will counter them as he did a cutback on hikari Noa of ut's in seven minutes and 30 seconds so this match was tough to care about because it meant absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. But the finish was so awesome that I have to stand and applaud. I, I loved the fact that UT tried to get fancy, tried to bust out UT's or uh, uh, Kinesa's pin and Dragon Kid hit him with a not today and pinned him <laughs> immediately. But that's like a magical thing that they've produced over the last 18 months, right? Like the cool thing about people getting bequested Yoshino's moves and then people can bequested Kness's moves. Like there are certain people who have certain relationships to getting those moves performed on them. And it, incidentally, a lot of those moves were targeting Dragon. How did all these people have all these moves specifically against Dragon Kid case? <laughs> yeah. Like I, maybe Dragon Kid's super confident. I don't know. But if my, my head was hitting the pillow every night and I was thinking about the arsenal of moves that people have used specifically against me, I would feel horrible about myself. But we've seen through how he acts. He probably pays no mind to this whatsoever. No, he's too busy doing handstands and petting cats. He lives a perfect life. I, I mean, he lives a perfect life, but everyone hates him. So, of course, they develop all these moves, Gays. <laughs> one, one of my favorite online moments recently was when uh, he showed up at that Noah show at the start of the year and teamed with Ultimo. And then Ultimo afterwards is like, I hate this guy. I hate teaming with him. I don't know why he's here. <laughs> and multiple people go, hey, what? Like, am I missing a story? Is this like a Shingo Shima thing with Ultimo and Dragon Kid? Like, what's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> no dragon kid is just the person that no one can stand on the roster ultimo probably regrets his decision he made 25 years ago you know every day every day every day so we talked about match three earlier this was the uh hong kong battle jason lee versus ho ho loon and jason won with his schoolboy after a low blow and we're going to say this on audio case because this was said on air but this has to happen jason you have to apologize to Ho Ho Lude for punching him in the nuts. That's not cool. 
No, I love the uh, I love the way that Jace slid that in there when Jason was saying in his, uh, the post match promo after the main event that he was he was pretending to be in Zebrats all along and that he was only going uh, going along with it so he could turn on the and Jay goes well he shit he owes Ho Ho an apology <laughs> he kicked him in the balls earlier. <laughs> That's a very very good note, very good wrestling or anti wrestling logic by Jay to point out that. Two hours earlier, he did kick someone low for real, and thus he does owe them an apology. Yeah, man. I mean, that that, that that's he, the the two guys basically built up Hong Kong wrestling uh, by themselves, and, and you do that, you do them dirty like that, man, man. If I'm Natural Vibes, I'm keeping an eye on Jason. You know? I. I love that Ho-Ho's getting as much in-ring time as he's been getting lately. He's been making the YouTube channel a lot. He he's got, good. Ho-Ho's yeah, good. He, yeah, he's... he's uh, you. Uh, if you have not seen Ho-Ho wrestle since the Cruiserweight Classic, I think he's much better than he was then. Of course, working with Drangate for three years will do that to you. I I love his presence, and I, I was thrilled for him, even if it was a short little three-minute match that was really just an angle. I was stoked that Ho-Ho got a singles match in Corrigan Hall. That's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And and next time Ho Ho's in the States, I think we need to both of us go find the show and go get Ho Ho an ice cream cone. Look, you I know? tried to get him booked. I, I told you that I tried to get him yeah, booked yeah. in a, a territory close to my home and it did not work out logistically, but I would love to see him next time he's in America. What a man. What a lovely man. Uh speaking about lovely men, this next tag match had at least in my approximation, one tag team case of the most fine, upstanding men you could possibly have, and then two absolute scallywags as Don Fuji and Kenichiro Rai, upstanding men, you know, pillars of the community, defeated these two deviants, Punch Tomonaga and Problem Dragon, in five minutes and 44 seconds when Kenichiro Rai gave a really brutal pile driver to punch. Absurd. Now, obviously, we're here to talk about Jay's commentary on this match, but we have to mention that the finish was Arakin hitting a Terry Funk level pile driver on a punch Tamanaga. That was tremendous stuff. But obviously there's a line in here that we have to discuss. It was the, because we did not hear the Kness retirement show audio. This was the peak of Jay's commentary career. Yeah. So I don't have this line down verbatim case. Do you? I, I do. Uh, uh, punch Tamanaga was in the corner he ran across the ring, and Jay said, you know, Punch Tamanaga's in-ring style is a lot like Shingo Takagi's. His hairstyle is a lot like Tetsuya Naito's. And it's worth noting that Ginky Horiguchi did commentary for the up until basically his match, and his comment to that was, ha! <laughs> In silence. <laughs> but everyone knew that what that laugh was. It was really, really good. It really knocked me on my ass when Jay said it. Well done to him. Working stiff 2022. Working stiff. Can we talk about Problem Dragon as an English announcer real quick? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So problem. So if you're wondering what the commentary lineups were for these shows, first two matches, Kinky Horiguchi. The everything after match four was Ho-Ho Loon. But matches three and four, we were blessed by the problem child of the Kamada family. Monday Ryu, the problem dragon on commentary. Which, by the way, I should note, Ho-Ho showed up in the booth during match four and immediately started complaining about how much his groin hurt from the prior match with Jason Lee, <laughs> which continues my favorite tradition of Ho-Ho Loon coming back to the commentary booth too quickly and still out of breath from his prior match, which is my favorite thing in all of wrestling. But uh, 
Problem Dragon definitely fits into the category like Yosuke Santa Maria of understands English, but doesn't really speak it, which makes for an interesting English commentary team. Ah, you, you know, Jay's got to talk to GM, uh, GM Cyrio and be like, hey, can we get the setup so we go straight from Ginky into Ho-Ho? Just, just get your, your cards uh, balanced right. So uh, I don't have to do that again. I said in the Voices of Wrestling Discord, the booth of Jay and Ho-Ho is so impressive on a human level to where they both, you know, Jay speaks fluent Japanese, Ho-Ho speaks a, a, a little bit of Japanese. So Jay is translating Japanese promos into English, and now we see Ho-Ho translating Cantonese, r- broken Cantonese by a Japanese man into English. That no other company is doing that. That's incredible. That's what we call international outreach. That's that's I can't believe more people don't watch this stuff. It's so good on just a basic human level. Yeah, no, it was something that I think it was Jay with uh, might have been with Maria doing commentary where he would ask her a he would say something, then translate it to Japanese for her. She would speak in Japanese and he would translate to English. I was like, this is probably one of the biggest commentary feats that no one's paying attention to and the fact that he had ho-ho with cantonese translating someone who probably just learned what he was supposed to say there and pulling that off it, it, it it's one it's one of the uh, underspoken about things in commentary right now it's just what is the kind of performances that jay and ho have done over the last year Obviously, you and I are both big fans of the Young Vibes team of UT and Jackie Funky Kamei. Do you think Jason Lee's future is teaming with Jackie Funky Kamei as sort of a Jackie Chan tribute act? And that's a, that's a, as goofy as that question sounds. That is a serious question. No, that that that, that is a incredibly serious question, and I'll treat it seriously. That's actually was my first response when Jay when Jason joined. I was like, oh well, they're going to do him and Jackie and do like and, and do like Game of Death will be their tag team. Like the like that seems very obvious there. Maybe that maybe that's a little bit too obvious. I could see him leading the trio with Young Vibes for Triangle Gate. Like I think I could see that happening just as well too. That would be a hot match for Kobe World of Minora Ishida and Doi versus Jason, Jackie, and UT. I would really like to see that at some point this year. I, I, I think that I, I think that that's a good next step, especially for Jackie teaming with Jason. I think that, that his understanding in KZ and Ginky has been so successful that hey, he should everyone that you want him to learn something from, just strap him to the hip of him for like a month and he picks up on it. So absolutely yeah. And for Kobe World that would be sick as hell. Up the opener, which is as always with all Dragon Gate uh, network shows live on YouTube, is still up on YouTube. It's a fun opener. It was Natural Vibes versus Zebrats. It was uh, no, it wasn't Natural Vibes. I, I saw Sasumu's name and immediately did that. It's Sasumi Yokosuka with D Courage as he teamed with the Open the Twin Gate champions, Dragon Daya and Yuki Yoshioka, and a bit of a triple titled preview match versus Kai, the Open the Dreamgate champion. So you got Susumu and Kai there. SB Kento, so you got some Brave Gate action with Daya. And then Diamante, who will be challenging the uh, the Twin Gate champion team of D-Courage, along with Shun Skywalker. So they, they, they uh, lifted up a lot of water for a lot of different uh, boats. Uh, my analogy got away from me, Case, but they did a lot of work in this opener that was a 15-minute time limit draw. 
obviously I'm excited about the Dragon Dia stuff stuff coming up at Dead or Alive. He's going to be in two matches. He's going to defend the Brave Gate belt against SB Kento, which I think is going to be a monumental match given that it's in SB Kento's hometown. And then he and Yoshioka are defending the Twin Gate belts against Skywalker and Diamante, which is a match that has six-month build. I mean, that has been really the second biggest story in this promotion throughout the year going back to the mask versus mask match in December. This is now with flipped pairings of a set of Diane Shun versus Yoshioka and Diamante. This is Diane Yoshioka versus Shun and Diamante. So I am fired up for that. Their chemistry was great, but most importantly, this match gave me a little bit more faith that the Tim Duncan of pro wrestling, Susumi Yokosuka can have a great match with Kai. Look, I've been critical of Kai, He's such a roller coaster of a champion where some weeks I hate him, some weeks I love him. He had a legitimately four and a quarter star great match with Big, uh, with, uh, Big Boss Shimizu in March. I expect the same level of output in the Susumu match, and this match gave me faith that that can happen. Yeah, like this was, I my note for this match was this was a shade from greatness. This match, I was three and three quarters on it. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the, the preview matches help out for like when we're kind of questioning things like Susumu and Kai, whereas in the past it kind of felt like, okay, get to the match. We, we've seen enough previews. Like how many times did we do a saw a preview of Shimizu versus Kai? Like in the lead up to that, this one though, I feel like it accomplished the goal there. It did a lot of heavy lifting from all people. And uh, we got to see uh Diamante base for Yuki Yoshioka as a treat. You know, I never thought that we'd be seeing that. And it was, I nice see Yuki break that out early on in the match. And it, that was a nice little preview for the Twin Gate match because it makes you remember, oh, wait, the the uh, Zebrat team is so tall that basically D. Kirch could do whatever they want now. And that was a really cool thing to see in this preview. So I don't know where we're going next in the podcast. I kind of forget what you told me before we started recording. But speaking of Yoshioka, he is beating Yamato in the first round of King of Gate, right? I think he is. Yeah, you know? right. That that seems like a layup. I think there's a few matches on that opening night that can go either way. Really, Kai versus Kondo, and I know it's supposed to be the summer of Ata, but Ata versus Skywalker, I could see either of those uh, results happening. But Yoshioka versus Yamato, lock it in. I think that is a victory for Yuki Yoshioka. Well, we were going to do this later, but we've already kind of talked about it. Let, let's talk about King Gate now. Yeah, let's 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 do it. We don't. Uh, let's yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so at the end of the show, uh, GM Rio Saito announced the uh, the entrance and the format for the uh, 2022 King of Gate, deciding Dragon Gate's number one championship. And for the first time ever, 32 wrestlers, single elimination. It is basically spread out the first two weeks of King of Gate. They are doing first round matchups. I'm we've talked about confusion with. With one of them, I'm just going to run down the the matchups, and we could take it from there. Uh, the May 11th Corkin that Case was just talking about has the Kai and Kondo SBK versus Hip Hop Kakuta, uh, class of 2020, getting at it. Uh, Yamato versus Yuki Yoshioka, which we just talked about, and then Ata versus Shun Skywalker in the uh, spoiler match of my bracket. And then we fast forward to Gifu. I'm just reading what's listed on the English page. Case has pointed out that they might have flip flopped one of the matches here. It is Problem Dragon and Keisuke Akuda. I'm willing to guess that this match happens in Gifu, as Problem Dragon is from Gifu, and I believe this is technically a homecoming show. The other match from Gifu will either be Takuma Fujiwara versus Ishinahashi or UT versus Kakatora. On the 15th in Kobe Sambo Hall, the other matches 
from there are JFK, Jackie Funky Kamei versus Yosuke San Maria, Dragon Daya versus Hyo, La Estrella versus Strong Machine J, and then either UT versus Kagatora or Takuma Fujiwara and Ishinohashi. And then we fast forward to the triple shot. It is May. It is a triple shot in Hokkaido month. Twice a year, May and December, we get a triple shot. This year, we have uh, six matches in the first round there. So it's Ishida versus Susumu on the 20th. BB Hulk, being a hometown show, gets a main event versus Naruki Doi. Big six matchup. Uh, 21st, Jason Lee versus Benkei. Dragon Kid versus Diamante. Then on the 22nd, as we are also in adjacent to KZ's hometown. He's from Abetsu, which is a suburb of Sapporo, but it's still his homecoming show, none the same. We have a super heavyweight battle, Big Boss Shimizu versus Akashi Yoshida, and then the homecoming boy, KZ versus Kota Minora in the rematch of the 2021 King of Gate Finals. Give me your three most anticipated matches. Uh, personally... Boy, where where do I cut this off at, man? Uh, for me personally, uh, SPK versus Hip Hop. I want to see how Hip's looking, and I know that they'll be a week after his return. Uh, Ada versus Shun because of the implications there, and I'm really interested in, in uh, Takuma versus Ishin. That is my favorite match of this. Ma- that is my first round matchup is Takuma Fujiwara versus Ishin Ahashi. I am largely on the same page as you. I th- I have morbid curiosity in a few. Uh, Dragon Kid versus Diamante is certainly one that sounds like a lot of fun. La Estrella versus Strong Machine J is the definition of high ceiling, low floor. That could go so many different directions that I, I'm a little nervous about that match. But if I had to pinpoint the three that I'm most excited about, like you, Ata versus Shun, Ishin versus Fujiwara. The fact that they are closing out that Sapporo weekend with the King of Gate finals from last year in the first round in a single elimination tournament, no less, KZ versus Minora, that gets me fired up. That is so exciting. That is one that I could go either way. I have no idea what the finish to that match is going to be. And I think next week we can kind of break this down a little bit closer and give our full King of Gate prediction brackets. But, oh, man, I'm staring at that KZ Minora match, and that is that is a 50-50 match to me if there ever was one. And the thing about that KZ Minora match is it would not be in the next round, but in order to see who gets out of that uh, region, Ata is in that region, too. Ata and Shun Skywalker. That's I, th- th- These brackets are awesome. This tournament's great. I said last week... If the King of Gate lineup was anything other than outstanding, it would be a massive disappointment. And I think this is outstanding. I I think they they killed it with the 32 guys. I love the way the brackets are laid out. Like I said, I think next week we'll have the opportunity to dive into this and go match by match. But I'll give you and I'll give you a week to change your answer. But right now, King of Gate 2022, who is your winner? It is the summer of Ata. He gets his groove back. Ata wins King of Gate 2022. I am going to spend an entire week looking for a way to disagree with you, but right now I am I am in on Ata as well. It's the summer of Ata. We just talked about George uh, George Costanza for a bit. It's just like the summer of George. We're entering the summer of Ata. 
I'm sure Ato would be very disrespected if he found out you were comparing him to George Costanza in any way, shape, or form. Do you think he... I, I think Ato would like Seinfeld. <laughs> Ato okay. seems like the kind Hold of person on. that would like Seinfeld. Mike, Mike, pull up the Dragon Gate roster. We're going to find out who on this roster likes Seinfeld. Oh, well, we're past the hour point, you know. We did the bulk of our work. It's time for a dessert here. All right, I got the roster page pulled up. Ah, uh, jeez. Let's go. Uh, let's go unit by unit. Let's start with natural vibes. KZ probably not a fan of Seinfeld. Genki, my guess, has seen every episode. Genki, I think. I think Genki and Susumu probably both have. Genki might have been in the room for a few of those late Seinfeld seasons. He might have gone from Japan to Mexico to L.A. and wrote a few of the season nine Seinfelds. That would not surprise me. Hey, I season nine Seinfeld gets slighted for whatever reason. I think it's better than people expect. A big boss Shimizu. I think we're both in agreement. Not a Seinfeld guy. Oh, it. I think Shimizu lives off of '90s American culture. I, oh, that I, is a good point. Yeah, but do you it, think you'd be Seinfeld or think you'd be Friends? I feel like you'd be Friends. There's a Friends guy on this roster. There's a Friends guy that I can pinpoint, and it is not Big Boss Shimizu. I think Shimizu is a friend is a Seinfeld guy. Uh, UT can go either way. Uh, UT's I I he. Even though he's in his late 20s, he projects like a 22-year-old. I don't think he's seen Seinfeld. I don't think it's on his radar, and I don't think he'd like it. Yeah, I, I think we should say, just put out a blanket thing. Anyone who debuted after 2019, with exceptions that we might point out, have not seen Seinfeld. I feel like yeah. we could just paint with a wide breath. There's no way that J- Jackie, Funky, Kamei, and Takuma no. Fujiwara have watched Seinfeld. No. no, Jackie is too cool at doing too many things to sit down, fire up his, his Netflix account, and watch Seinfeld. Jason Lee, though. God, we can probably ask. I would like to know if Jason Lee has seen Seinfeld. I, <laughs> that, that's I, true. I lean no. I'm yeah. going to say Jason is not a Seinfeld fan, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with that for now. Though he would have had the best chance out of anyone other than people on Excursion to have watched Seinfeld. That is true, but I lean no. I think, I think Jason, Jason's a sports guy. I don't, I don't picture him sitting down and watching a lot of comedies or dramas. I think he's a live sports viewer. I mean, you said sports guy, and for a second I was like, oh, so he's a big fan of sports night. Yes, naturally. That makes perfect <laughs> sense. Uh, then we got we go into high-end. Yamato y- Yamato probably said yada, yada, yada a whole lot. He watched it. Yeah, Yamato knows the hits. He's seen the contest. He's right. seen the outing. He's seen the yada, yada, yada. Hasn't, you know, he doesn't have opinions on season two of Seinfeld, but he's seen the hits. He's at least somewhat of a fan. Yeah, whereas Dragon Kid has not seen the hits, but will still make reference. No, Dragon Kid is the Friends fan on the roster. Dragon Kid yes, yes, is yes. 1,000% like, guys, Friends Friends is really good, and no one else is interested. Okuda does not watch Seinfeld. However, Ben K does secretly watch Seinfeld. <laughs> I have no complaint there. That seems very yeah. accurate. Kagatora? Probably. Kagatora seems like a kind of guy that knows the TNT and USA Network lineup really well. I don't see him as a comedy fan. I see him watching whatever the Japanese equivalent of Rizzolian Isles is. I was going to say the Japanese equivalent of Royal Pains, but we're on the <laughs> yeah, same page there. Okay. Kagatora watches what my mom watches. <laughs> right, yeah. Characters welcome. Uh, Zebrats. We have a lot of boom. We have a lot of Zoomers in here, so we can just pass by SBK. No way. Uh no, SPK's, no, SPK's meeting women. He's not watching Seinfeld. <laughs> Kai, 
Ah, oh, man. You know, Kai's been around. Kai has watched Seinfeld, but he might not be a fan. I There's nothing I like to think of more than when he's carrying Muto's bags on a pro wrestling syndicate show. He hits the hotel room. He sits down, legs spread wide open like Kai does, and he flips on TBS and enjoys some Seinfeld reruns. You, you, you see, I feel like he'd be a guy in the hotel room that would watch a lot of Shark Tank. <laughs> that's yo yo is the big brain guy he's like this mark cuban guy knows what's up oh mr wonderful i'll yeah. tell you who mr wonderful is <laughs> bb hulk that's a yes yeah okay all right yeah there's yeah. there's enough implied horniness in seinfeld that i think bb hulk can get down with that as we've talked about hyo watches shark tank uh sb <laughs> kento is too busy getting laid shun skywalker who knows? <laughs> he might watch Barry. The The thing about Shun is that he might be taking character notes from Bill Hader. Yeah, yeah. He might be watching the show about an assassin. That makes sense. <laughs> Diamante? Yeah. No shot. No, I, oh, I don't think really? so. Really? No, I, Diamante is with SB Kento out of the town. He's not sitting in his hotel room watching Seinfeld. I, I think you're discounting the chance and the opportunity that seinfeld is one of the most internationally syndicated shows of all time but diamante has been wrestling since he was 13 like he's busy he's not sitting down and watching an american comedy however naruki doi oh my god you see it every episode <laughs> <laughs> naruki doi is the one who actually knows the soup nazi's real name <laughs> uh uh we have Minoru ishida and minorita too young you think yeah Maybe no, ishida. No, no. Uh, no no Ashita's a tough guy he's not he's not watching Seinfeld uh D Courage Yuki Yoshioka he had a lot of time in Mexico yeah that's true when you're six months into a pandemic in Nakampone you're probably flipping on Japanese subtitled Spanish dubbed Seinfeld at some point yeah yeah uh Daya no chance no chance no chance uh unaffiliated Ultimo of course of course big Seinfeld guy he loves, he loves Seinfeld and beautiful women. That's my. That's what I've learned about Ultimo. God. God, I love that people are just now discovering Ultimo's Instagram and how great it is. If you're not following Ultimo Dragon on Instagram, you need to do that. If you're not on Instagram, make one just to follow Ultimo Dragon. Yeah, to support the principal and all of his efforts. Uh, Ata, we're on. Di we're of different minds here. Uh, Yosuke. Hey, it's a romantic show. I lean yes. Yosuke likes yeah. the romance. Kondo, I think there's so much frivolity for Kondo. Agreed. He's a serious man. SMJ might be too young. Too young. Yeah. Ryo Saito is a family guy person. <laughs> Moving Co on. <laughs> Coming to the Everything Elite podcast, what, dra what Dragon Gate member prefers what animation domination series? That is a series that I think we need to tackle because I think you're onto something with Ryo Saito liking family guy. Whereas Yuzushi Kanda, Big King of the Hill guy. Of course. Also watches Seinfeld. No compliance. Uh, Masaki Mochizuki, you would think he would, but we, for what all we know about Masaki Mochizuki, that gets in the middle of him running through parks and working out and posting selfies. So no. that's, that's the thing, is I feel like with Mochizuki and Fuji, we know too much about their personal lives to where it's like, okay, it's not, <laughs> it's not exercise, drinking beer, or watching 70s Showa-era wrestling, so it's not in, on their radar. Yeah. However, Takashi Yoshida... I could buy him as a Seinfeld fan. I believe that. He moved to America to wrestle at the uh, LA Noki Dojo in 2003, in 2004. With, like those guys, he had to have watched Seinfeld. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yoshida's on the list. Estrella and Hip Hop, uh, they both are too young or from outer space. Punch Tomonaga. 
he's kind of the Kramer of the roster, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's got he's got big Kramer energy. <laughs> yeah, Gamma has big uh, has big Newman energy. Makes that's sense. oh my god, that's so good. When you think about Gamma's career, he is the Newman of Dragon Gate. Exactly. Uh, Fuck, Mon- that's good. Monte Ryu, maybe. Yeah, maybe, but I lean no. Kenichiro Rai, however. Too busy working with the Japanese mafia to watch Seinfeld. That's my stance yeah. on that. <laughs> uh, K- Kness is still listed on the roster. Yeah, he had a lot of downtime. Yeah, K- Kness, Shisa, Ichikawa, Sachi Hoko Boy. I'm going to gar- grant them all yeses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Hashi brothers are older. Yeah, but they're like, one of them's uh, like a, he has like a medical degree. He's not yeah, watching Ishin- Seinfeld. Yeah, Ishin was the former nurse. Uh, Riki was the former Japanese self-defense force. That, those so, are guys. Those are guys with hobbies. Those are guys that are busy. They're not watching Seinfeld. I mean, downtown at downtown at the base. You don't think Riki Ohashi maybe? You know, getting some R and R, booting up the voice. No, he was combing his hair. Yeah, that's right. He does have the great head head of hair. Uh, Takuma Fujiwara, Zoomer, uh, Ryo Fuda, Zuda, Shoya Sato, though. It does project big dad energy. I don't. I don't think he has yeah. children, but he is like a father. I'll. I'll. I'll, I'll say yes. I'll give Sato the credit on that one. He, he's kind of the watermark, basically. And then Ho Ho Loon, which I would lean yes, but I'd like yes. to know for sure. Yeah. Yes, we would like to know personally. So thank you for joining us as we go down the Dragon Gate roster. Uh, the only other person that I would say is a yes and a no. Uh, G is a, a strong machine. G is a yes. F is a no. K, of course not. Yes, I agree with this. All right. Uh, so uh, let's talk about Kobe, I guess. I think we're, at, we're really at a point where we probably should cover this show a little bit. Uh, Kobe, it was on the 21st. Oh, yeah. I didn't do the usual network spiel. So the uh, Corkin show was on the 25th. It'll be on the network until the 2nd, both in English and Japanese. Kobe was on the 25th. It'll be on the network. Oh, no. No, it was on the 21st. It'll be on the network until the 28th. No commentary provided. Uh, just a Kobe Sambo Hall show with some interesting things happening there. Uh, Kay, should I just run through the results and we just talk our, our big takeaways? Yes. All right. As I'm right now, I had it a second ago. There we go. Kobe Sambo Hall on the 21st. It opened up with Zebrats versus Young Vibes. BB Hulk and Hio defeating Jackie Funky Kamei and UT with a Black Panther clutch on Kamei. Six-man tag, a, a problem dragon, Yosuke San Maria, La Estrella, Punch Tomonaga, Hoholun, and Ishinahashi. It was Maria over Ishin with the Nero Luchi. We had Kage, Tora, and Kesuke Okuda of high end versus unaffiliated Ada versus Strong Machine J. Strong Machine J penned Okuda with the machine suplex. We had a big old eight-man tag. Masaki, Mochizuki, Don Fuji, Kinki, Horiguchi, Yuzushi, Kanda versus Dragon Kid, Super Shisa, Konamawa, Chikawa, and Sachi. It was Fuji over Chikawa with a sleeper hold. And then we had Gold Class versus Kondo, Yoshida, and Fujiwara. It was Gold Class with a combo in the R301 on Fujiwara. And then the Royal Sanbo. This was a unique Royal Sanbo. Uh, participants were Yamato, Benkei. KZ, Susumi Yokosuka, Kai, SB Kento, Shun Skywalker, Diamante, Dragon Daya, Yuki Yoshioka, and Jason Lee. In case, what do all those men have in common? Oh, God. They're all very good. They're all in King of Gate. 
they all either are attached to title matches or are featured people here. There was no chaff in this Royal Sambo. It was Jason Lee eliminating and pinning Dragon Dio for Crucifix Hold. That might be the first pin Dio's had since returning in 20 minutes and 29 seconds to win the main event Royal Sambo. Yeah, this was this was a lot of fun. If if I had to recommend one match on the show, the Battle Royal was fun. I love the old guy eight-man tag. But the second match on this card, I don't know if you felt this way, Mike. It was a three-minute six-man tag with Estrella, Mondai Ryu, and Maria against Hoho, Ishin, and Punch Tamanaga. I thought this match was a blast. Did this make any impression on you? I mean, other than Ishin doing cool things, not really. <laughs> I, 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 I can't blame you, but I thought Estrella looked good. I thought Maria looked good. I thought Ishin looked good. This was one of those matches where it's, you know, it's not going to be one that I remember even a month from now. It's certainly not something that I'm going to remember at the end of this year. But in this show, when you watch all of these Drangate matches and the the thing with this company is consistency. So you start to have matches bleed together a little bit. I expected the worst from this match. It's six low level guys who don't always blow me away. But I thought this was a ton of fun. They went out there for three minutes and just killed each other with big moves. And it was super entertaining to me. Yeah, they basically worked a three minutes uh, sprint. I, I should say Estrella has had a good few weeks here because Estrella and Ishan had a good good exchange in this and Estrella got good gear at Cork and, and I feel yeah, like I always I feel like I always speak down on Estrella so I, I, I like to compliment sandwich it so. well I, I've, I've come around on Strong Machine J recently Estrella has been doing good work in your eyes we're, we're growing we're changing on this podcast it's not the same thing every week nah there's one thing you can say about me I am not a static person I'm dynamic baby I'm thriving <laughs> and changing <laughs> um the battle royal a lot of people liked i thought i thought it was good not great i know some people were really high on it it was nice to see a battle royal with a a loaded lineup with a bunch of big names i thought the dynamic of that was really cool it seemed like by the end of it the crowd was really into it and if you're super invested in the jason shun skywalker story and have not seen the battle royal yet i would recommend it yeah like i i feel like that the cool thing about this battle royal was the fact that they had the feuds kind of enter together. So yeah, Kain Susumu, pardon me, Kain Susumu start, and they kept on like bringing in like SBK and Die at the same time. Of course, Shun dragged out Jason Lee. So like they did a really good job of interplaying that and making it feel like that it was a part of the fabric of the promotion at the moment instead of being like, hey, we do a battle royal each month. We need to figure out something to do here. And I think that's why it appealed to a lot of people. I thought it was a good battle royal. I went three and a half stars on it. And I have not gone very high on any of the battle royals. It was fun. Yeah, it's it's fun. I didn't, I didn't find it to be essential by any means. But if you're super invested in Jason versus Shun and you'd like to see that, then uh, by all means, give that a watch. Nice little tidy 15 minute battle royal or so. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the match that I thought was the best match on the show was the I thought this gold class trios match. But I think it was also who all you had against it was all really fresh there. So you got to see Minora and Kondo and things like this, and Fujiwara and Ishida. Like, Fujiwara was more than game to just just fire off against Kaito Ishida, and that was really sick because, you know, uh, the, the, I did have a, a note here, which case I know that this show is now, we're approaching five days old, so I don't know if you if you noticed this. Uh, I felt like that Fujiwara was getting more of a Bayface re- response than Kota Minora in this match. 
I did not notice that, but that is not shocking to me. I am very firmly in Minora's corner. I think he's the future. But if I'm put in a position where I'm watching Minora get heat on Fujiwara, I'm certainly not rooting for Minora to hit him harder. I'm rooting for Fujiwara to make a comeback. And that's not a slight against Minora in my mind. That's just how dynamic Fujiwara has been lately. Yeah, that's a little bit of the hot hand, I feel like. But yeah. I thought I felt like that was kind of notable. But it was a fun Kobe Sambo Hall. Uh, the biggest events coming out of it, of course, were the announcements that at the end of this month that both Gamma and Super Shisa will be departing Dragon Gate. Uh, Gamma has announced already that he'll be doing some indie dates and will be retiring in August. Shisa hasn't said much more other than he's going to continue wrestling. So interesting kind of announcement they did in front of the hometown instead of Tokyo, which makes sense with those two guys. But, you know, this is the, the, the clock. It doesn't stop ticking. And with Gamma and Shisa, especially Shisa, as great it is to always see them, and I always feel great knowing that Shisa has a match, and that was always a thing for me on Kobe Sambo Hall shows that I knew that he would be there for that. But for like someone like Gamma, who really hasn't come along around a lot at all this year, not a surprise, and it's just kind of the passage of time. So it's odd in the sense that I think Jay said this on Twitter, I think it was him, that it seemed like these guys were destined for the opposite of what they announced, that Shisa would be retiring and that Gamma would be leaving to go wrestle elsewhere. And the fact that Gamma's retiring and Shisa still wants to wrestle is very surprising to me. Uh, obviously, my brain goes to Osaka Pro as a natural place for Super Shisa to work. I expect that to be where he pops up. I'm excited as a huge fan of his and someone that really enjoyed him in the eight-man tag in Kobe. I'm excited that he still wants to wrestle. Uh, surprised, but excited. We will definitely be doing one Gamma retrospective show. I can't imagine we're going to be doing two. I started sweating bullets thinking about the idea of <laughs> booking, like, you know, it was like Yoshino, we did an entire series, you know, Rich Creech and John Hernandez and Alan and Jay all came on and gladly talked about Masada Yoshino. And with Kness, we obviously, you know, people are throwing roses at that Jay interview, which I greatly appreciate. I just started sweating thinking about the idea of like, is Shima going to do our podcast? Like who was going to be the person that <laughs> willfully wants to say nice things about Gamma? So that will be a bridge that we cross when we come to it. But yeah, it's it's necessary. I mean, we have 32 guys in King of Gate and these aren't two of the guys and they're not Don Fuji or Masaki Mochizuki or Genki Horiguchi. And I think that's everything you need to know about their standing in the company. They're not going to work unless it's on these small shows and quite frankly, nor should they. So, I get it. And with Gamma, I guess the thing that doesn't surprise me as much as others, Gamma, for a while, like, I'm trying to remember the first time I got a Dragon Gate program. It might have been, oh, it was uh, 2013, because it was the first issue after the Summer Adventure Tag League in 2013. But they always have ads in this, and that's ads taken out from like from like people that you've seen on the mat, like office, like, like office high on and stuff like that. And then just like local businesses buying an ad there, not unlike your local sports program. If you go see a high school sports game, but gamma always has ads in it for his gym. And he's had it like when he was wrestling full time, he would always advertise his gym. So 
I'm not surprised he has an exit plan. I think it's kind of notable the fact that he's doing an independent retirement show, which probably tells you who might be showing up there who would not be allowed in a Dragon Gate ring right now. That's so. what that, that's what I can't figure out is it seems like they're both living on good terms. Dragon Gate seems to be at least promoting on social media his retirement show. But him doing an independent retirement show is very strange, and I do have to wonder who shows up. And it's not Black Buffalo that we're wondering about. Right, right. Well, I was going to say it. It's, I mean, his uh, longtime partner in front of Shima. And the, the reason that he was in Dragon Gate in the first place was because of Shima. Yeah. Osaka Zenroke, that is the, like, the local calling card for, or the calling code for their neighborhood in Osaka where they grew up. So that was the thing that raised my eyebrow. She's, uh, I, just like a quick and uh, just very quick uh, uh, history lesson on Shisa. Like we've talked about him going from Saito to Shisa. And then he kind of was just on the roster for a long time. He did a bunch of training. He left. Uh, geez, when did he originally leave case? It was like 2016, I want to say. Uh, he- 2015, I believe. Okay, so 2015. Uh, he left the promotion for the first time. And he said uh, he was going to kind of start scaling back. He opened a uh, taco shop called Dragon Gate. Uh I don't know if it was in Kobe. I want to say it was in Kyoto for some reason. But he had a shop and he came back in after the split. And he was a member. Uh, when I first got a list of people who were on the board of directors of Dragon Gate, I was kind of surprised to see his name on that list. But I guess he's that was during the transition. And he's taking a step back. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think Osaka Pro is the obvious spot there. Here's the weird thing about Shisa. I don't know where he actually lives. I'm trying to think of other micro indies because he's in Kyoto. I mean... Yashi has like four of them himself in that town. And so, he's, fr- he's from Hokkaido, but I don't think there's any promotions based on Hokkaido, is there? Micro. Micro. Yeah. Not super small. N- not anything that I'm willing to watch. I, I it might be from Awate, but the only like big thing I know from like that area, other than the stuff we've talked about, uh, and Teresa the Panda is from the Northeast. I don't know if that's Hokkaido or that's Sohoku, but like that's like the only like bigger gimmick or like and they did promoted shows for andreza the super panda so i don't think he's moving back to Hokkaido. i can't imagine no and i i don't i don't know his whereabouts generally so i i can't speak to that i he's not retiring so don't expect a big shisa retrospective episode yet but i I, as i've said as i said when kness retired when shisa eventually calls it quits or when we get an idea that his career has come to an end he is someone that i'd like to talk about at length i think he has a fascinating career and i love watching him wrestle so we'll table that for the time being i hope he pops up at osaka pro because they have a tv deal and that way i can still watch him and i'm very curious to see what the next stage of his career looks like didn't Osaka Pro land that with Gaiora, too? Yeah, they've got a half hour in Gaiora. The first episode of TV just aired, actually. I have not watched it yet, but it is out on the internet if you know where to look. Wouldn't that be a nice bit of synchronicity? Him ending up in a Gaiora promotion that Wonderful. makes TV? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, from the way Jay spoke about it on the Cork and Hall show, it, it wouldn't, maybe not this Torimon reunion, but hypothetically, if there was a Torimon reunion volume three, it wouldn't stun me if Shisa was on that show. So th- it seems like they are leaving on good terms. Right, yeah. As much as we know. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in June, to be honest. Yeah, that's that's a good point, yeah. Yeah, but I think those are all the topics we had to go through this week, Case. We talked about Cork and talked a lot about Jason, talking at Gate. Uh, we even had time to, to uh, say who on the roster has or hasn't watched Seinfeld. Uh, was there anything <laughs> else you want to hit on this week? 
no so two episodes next week we're gonna do a dead or alive preview that again i may or may not be on we're trying to figure that out as we uh as we go about the the week and then a dead or alive review that will hopefully have a day after dead or alive so we're shooting to record that friday the 6th to talk about what should be you know hopefully a show of the year contender because on paper that lineup is insane yeah we're entering the hot season folks yeah, I mean, it's weird thinking Dead or Alive is next week. Like, yeah, it's I can't wrap my head around next week being the first week of May. On a, I've got a I, next week is one of the busiest weeks of my life, and I've been planning for it for like six months, and I'm not prepared for it to be next week. So, yeah, the we will keep you all up to date on the next episode. It will be at the very latest. It will be at normal release time. We just don't know who's going to be on it when we might record, but we're definitely going to be doing a post-show for Dead or Alive, and then it's King of Gate season. It's, it's my favorite time of the year, Case. I can't wait. Yeah, I am super excited for everything that's coming up. Yep. So that's going to do it for us for this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenVoiceGate. You can follow me at Fujiheya and Case is at underscore in your case. But that's going to do it this time, Open the Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next episode, previewing the first of the big five of 2022. It's dead or alive time in Nagoya on May 5th. Take care, everyone.